If you were able to walk into a room confident that you would be well-received, seen, heard, and appreciated by others, and all it took was a few changes in how you navigate your everyday relationships, would you be willing to make those changes? It is possible to be both fully authentic and to experience the best relationships of your life. Now, here is the host of Navigating Complicated Relationships with behavior expert, Michaela Gaffin-Stone. Welcome, everybody. I'm delighted you're here with me on Navigating Complicated Relationships. I'm Michaela Gaffin-Stone. I'm a human behavior expert, but you know what? There are some other experts out there, too. And today I have a very special person for you, and I'm going to ask her to tell you a little bit about herself. In fact, as much as you like. So, <laughs> Ahuva Hershkov, welcome, and please introduce yourself. Thank you for having me. As much as I like is, is a dangerous offer. Um, so I'm Ahuva Hershkop. I am a registered dietitian and I am a burnout coach for overstretched professionals. And I support overstretched professionals in really coming back to themselves in working to clarify their values, their goals, and the systems and frameworks that they need to get there so that they can build a life they actually get to enjoy without com compromising on their long-term goals. That's very cool and very succinct. So tell me or tell the people listening a little bit about your journey to where, where you are now, the things you're doing now. Like what did you start off doing? So 10 years ago when I started my career, I was a, an executive health dietitian. I started in clinical practice. And at the end of 2019, I made the decision to go out on my own and start a private practice as a pediatric dietitian, um, having done, you know, some having experience in clinical research and clinical practice in pediatrics. And at the end of, of, of 2019, I was like, you know what, I need more flexibility for myself. I had three-year-old, just under three-year-old twins at the time. I was like, I'm going to just start out on my own, start a practice. It's going to be great. I'll give myself a year to replace my clinical salary. Um, you know, probably at the beginning of, of 2020, I'll think about getting pregnant with a third child. And in my mind, it was going to take me the same, you know, year that it took me to get pregnant with my twins, to get pregnant with my third child. It was perfect. I was going to have, you know, a long time to get my practice up and running and, um, as, as they say, man plans, God laughs. And I found out that I was pregnant with my third child two days after COVID lockdowns happened and my three-year-old twins came home. Oh, timing. <laughs> Talk about timing. That's, yeah, as soon as you started to say, you know, I had this plan and it was going to work perfectly. And like, hmm, where have I heard that kind of thing before? <laughs> and how many times has it ever worked? Yeah. Uh, none that I'm aware of. Yes, that's, exactly. That's quite something. Yeah. So that was certainly a surprise for you. What other surprises have you had along the way? That was certainly a surprise for me. And what was most surprising and that I realized sort of afterwards was how much I ignored all of that information in pursuit of the goal that I had set out. Because, you know, being someone who was a little bit of a, you know, type A perfectionist, all the things, I was like, I'm going to ignore the fact that I'm now newly pregnant with three-year-old twins at home in a pandemic. There's so many things going on. I said I was going to replace my salary. I am going to replace my salary. Like that's going to be it. And I spent the entire year really hustling, 
uh, like crazy to, you know, still get clients, build my business. I went back to work six days after I had my son so that I could still pursue that goal. And it took me sort of continuously talking to the professionals I was talking to, specifically the women I was talking to that year, who really were echoing something similar, um, you know, to me where it was, I'm doing all these things and it feels like I'm never doing enough. I'm, I'm burning myself out, but it feels like I should be doing more or I'm never really sure I'm doing the right thing. And, you know, as someone who was clearly in that time attributing a lot of my self-worth and, you know, capabilities to building up that practice to that degree, uh, it took me all of a sudden really being surprised recognizing that right? The degree to which I felt like I was the only one who was an entrepreneur and didn't know what I was doing or was trying to raise my kids and didn't know what I was doing in a pandemic, no no less, right? In a completely new um, environment that nobody had ever really been in and didn't really feel like I knew what I was doing and how every single client that I was working with, with felt exactly the same way. It's just me. Like everyone else is fine. It's just me. They know what they're doing and it's just me. Everyone's doing it right and it's just me. And all of a sudden I was like, hey now, it can't just be me and Susie down the street and this person at school and that person I'm talking to and this client. There must be something bigger at play here. And so, you know, when I realized that it was really my time to go into a very deep period of, of learning and understanding how so many humans and women specifically uh, end up in that situation and then go about solving it for myself and the clients that I work for. Isn't that wild? I mean, you you look back, I'm, I'm just looking back over the things you've just mentioned and it's like, so, you know, having two, three-year-olds and a brand new baby and, you know, a new practice and a household to run and, you know, all these things and, hey, I'm not doing enough. That's just wild. And then to discover that everybody else is doing the same thing. And there you are feeling like you, you're not getting anywhere. It's just, holy smokes, you know, that that yeah. must have been, I don't know if you reached burnout of epic proportions, but I'm kind of getting there for you. you know? <laughs> <laughs> and that. what was always interesting is I happened to have a very close uh, girlfriend. Um, you know, we found out that we were pregnant within days of my twins and her older daughter. And you know, how how easily I could when she said, oh my God, I did this, 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 and this today. And it doesn't, like, I still feel like I should have done more. And I'm like, are you kidding me? That is so much, right? You've done so much or you're doing so much or I can understand why you're tired. And she would say the same thing to me and how easy it was to say it for somebody else, but never really giving that permission to myself. And did either of you ever listen to the other one? Sometimes. <laughs> would say things okay. like, you know, that if I said that to you, you would say, you would say this to me and you know, that I said this to you. And both of us were like, yes, but it's different. And here's why. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's, isn't that the key thing? Ah, uh, yes, right? it's different yes. because, and yes. how many of us hold ourselves to a standard that we wouldn't dream of slapping on anybody else? It's like, no, 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 you're doing great. But me, I have to do you know, more and I have to earn my space yeah. somehow. I mean, is that the overall feeling, would you say, that you have to earn the right to like take, take up any kind of space at all? Yeah, I think that it's number one, earning the right to take up space. And I think it's also sitting in this limbo of not knowing your inherent worth and value. 
right? And so, so many of us attribute our value to the things that we're doing, to external factors, right? Even as a dietitian, I would work with so many women who are looking to break up with diet culture, right? Not attribute all of their worth to a number on the scale, but never really broke up with the underlying feeling of something externally still defines me, right? It might not now be the number on the scale because you've done the work to solve that, but then it's the number in your bank account, the number of parties you get invited to every, you know, every week, the number of vegetables your kid ate at at dinner, um, you know, whatever it is, because our brains can attribute our worth to anything, but those things are so fleeting, right? And so what I was finding with myself and what I find so often with my clients is, is when that's happening, it's only the last 10 minutes, right? You could have won a Nobel Peace Prize three hours ago, but then if someone, you know, critiques something you've done 10 minutes ago, you're a worthless human being, right? And so right. all of these things, it's this constant vacillation between like, oh, no, no, maybe I am worthy. Oh, no, no, now I'm not. Oh, no, no, I am, but now I'm not. And that's mentally and emotionally exhausting. Isn't it? That is so utterly draining. And it kind of gives this image of, you know, being a leaf on the wind. You land where the wind cares to put you and you don't have a say over it when everything is so externally driven. And you, you, I call the opinion of other people GUP, which is good opinion, other people, GUP. And you, you can't do anything with GUP because you can't make that happen, right? doesn't matter how hard we try, people please away, but you can't affect what other people think. And yet we spend so much time trying especially when you're stuck in that loop of, well, I have to do it all, right? And I have to do it all at once. That's, and I have to make it look easy. Yeah, and smile while I'm doing it. And by the exactly. way, let's remember my makeup. Yeah. Pretty wild, but we wouldn't do that to our worst enemy, really. No. It's so interesting. I mean, do you think this is all from sort of people pleasing that we learn as kids? I think there's so many factors and I think a lot of it is, you know, we like to think that we're such evolved humans, but so much of our history still stays with us, right? I tell my clients all the time, like when we think about people pleasing, right? And how it's not necessarily serving um, our happiest selves, right? Creating the most fulfilled version of ourselves that especially for women, we're only a hundred years away even from when women, you know, literally would would get married and have to show up with their dowries, right? It's like, here, I have no inherent worth. I can't actually contribute to the, to the household or to, you know, going out to work. So at least I'm going to give you as bed sheets, right? I'll try my hardest. Right. <laughs> and so when we oh. think about, like, we like to think that we're so evolved past that point and our brains really often haven't, right? We might be out in the workforce and have physically evolved, but so much of our decision-making still you know, thinks about our safety, our security, right? Physical, mental, emotional security, all being tied to, you know, that um, and to being able to keep people happy, not to mention the fact that even as evolutionary, you know, as biological beings, we're meant to function in tribes. And so part of being in the tribe is making sure that whoever the alpha is, is kept very happy, right? Making sure that you stay in there so that you can keep your safety as well. So you're not the lone wolf when somebody, you know, wants to come to attack, right? And so mm -hmm. a lot of those are so strongly ingrained 
which means that it kind of makes sense that we operate that way, right? We like to beat ourselves up very often for why did I people please again? Why did I say yes when I meant no? But the reality is we're fighting a lot against, you know, normal evolutionary biological norms. Yeah, there is so much there that we don't even know is there, honestly. It's, you know, you, you're putting a lot of things out there for people to think about, like, oh, do I do that? And have I got that coming up? But, I mean, really, I, I don't know anybody that doesn't people please. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure I don't. Yeah. I mean, you might be the exception. But, <laughs> <laughs> you know, what do you say to that? Are you? Yes and no. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, like, truthfully, yes, right? Even as somebody who who teaches this, because I think that there's no behavior or there's no thing that is sort of like inherently good or bad, right? It's, it's all in how we use it and sort of how it serves you. Um, so having your entire life be people-pleasing to the point that you're depleted and the other person probably isn't very happy because, you know, normally when we're not bringing our full selves, we're not creating permission for the other people to. And I like to kind of comp think about uh, people pleasing as compromise. And there's the, there's the quote around like compromise is really like no one leaving or both parties leaving the negotiation table unhappy. Right. Sure. Um, because when we're people pleasing, we kind of shift other people into that mode as well. And so everyone kind of ends up unhappy to, to some regard. And then there's people pleasing sometimes that is useful, right? Like when you're going through border patrol and you're trying to be extra nice to the person so they don't pull you over for secondary inspection right. I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing because quite frankly you know I want to make my flight right and so I think that when we think about am I people pleaser am I not do I do this thing do I not it's sort of more asking where do I do that and is that actually helpful for me right? In the relationships right. that I want to be deep, meaningful relationships where I get to bring my whole self to that space, people pleasing probably isn't the most conducive to that. When you're going through border patrol, if you want to be the extra nice, you know, politest version of yourself, by all means, get on your flight, do what you need to do. Right. Now, I once had an experience going through border control by car. <laughs> and I was very friendly to the, the border people and that kind of backfired, actually. <laughs> it just <laughs> came up to my mind. This person was, you know, the border guy was like, do I know you? Why are you being so friendly? And I was like, oh, man. You know, so my, my people pleasing was obviously on high alert. And, yes. and this guy, we ended up with him checking the car and you know, checking the nth degree. And he found a bag of trail mix. Yeah. And a little bag of trail mix. And you could tell from the mark on it you know the the price that it came from the place we were coming back to like it came from the U.S. and we still got this long spiel about you know no you can't bring this across the border and I should find you and da 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 he turned out being a royal pain but <laughs> yeah nothing happened in the end he just objected to us being friendly like that was weird but yeah. that that kind of came up to mind when you were talking about people pleasing to get your plane on time certainly being polite and you know quiet is probably the best bet yeah I, I was maybe a little too cheap less is more <laughs> right that was, that was just so crazy so we already have our first break coming up which is so fast 
But I want everybody to hang around, bring a pen, because Ahuva has all kinds of amazing things to tell you. Not that I'm putting you on the spot, but I am. And we will be right back with Inspired Choices Network, and you are listening to Navigating Complicated Relationships. See you in a minute. Don't go away. What if your relationships could be a source of delight instead of a source of struggle? In a world where human interactions are anything but straightforward, tuning in to Navigating Complicated Relationships with behavior expert Michaela Gaffin-Stone will offer you insights, tools, and a whole new level of understanding for you to use right now. Listen for Navigating Complicated Relationships with Michaela Gaffin-Stone, Wednesdays at 12 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central, 10 a.m. Mountain, 9 a.m. Pacific on InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. Are you a subject matter expert? Are you here to share your expertise with an audience waiting to hear from you in only the way you can deliver? Are you ready to have your voice amplified across the airwaves? Inspire Choices Network has a global radio platform streaming to millions of people across the world. Professionally produced and supported by an accomplished team every step of the way, you can broadcast from anywhere in the world knowing your voice matters and we ensure it is delivered with ease and efficiency. Eager to hear your message, the world awaits. Contact us today to become an Inspired Choices Network radio host. Email become a host at inspiredchoicesnetwork.com. This is Navigating Complicated Relationships with Michaela Gaffin Stone. To participate in the program, join the live studio audience in our chat room at inspiredchoicesnetwork.com. You can also send an email to mickey at gaffinstone.com. Now back to the program. Welcome back, everyone. I'm delighted you're still here. You're listening to me, Michaela Gaffin-Stone, and I'm a human behavior expert. And today I have Ahuva Hirschkopf with me, and she is a Beyond Burnout Specialist. Now, this is somebody you really want to meet and you really want to listen to because she knows her stuff. And I can personally attest to that, having had lots of her help myself. Did you know that coaches have coaches? They do. So what what next would you like to look into, Ahuva? Something about burnout, perhaps. Well, I think that we can talk, you know, we spoke a little bit about people pleasing, um, but some of the ways that our nervous systems um, are actually conditioned into burnout, I think is one of the, the little known facts, right? I think that um, you were asking about surprises earlier and one of the biggest surprises to me when, when I both, when I, you know, burnt out and in working with clients, is how how much of um, you know personal responsibility people take for burning out without thinking about you know societal factors right societal pressures the ways that our nervous systems are actually kind of trained to burn us out especially in the hustle culture in which we live that is fascinating but yeah I, I can see it I mean we are very quick to blame ourselves unless you fall into the category of person who blames everybody else and doesn't take responsibility, but that's probably a different podcast. (laughs) We we can certainly talk about that too. So when did you first realize that you'd hit burnout and needed to, you know, reconfigure what you were doing? Cause you know, you still got these three kids and you still got the household and you still want to make a living. Right. So how did you, step back from burnout or did you like how how did that work so it really took 
to, you know, I get this question all the time, sort of how do, how do I know that I'm in burnout, right? How do I know where I'm sort of at? And I work with people who are sort of already, um, number one, already having burnt out, and number two, who are kind of just also realizing like something is not really working so well for them, right? It's the, the things that used to be easy, sort of now you're like, oh, okay, I have to rally myself to go do this thing, right? work where you used to be able to focus. And now you're like Googling, you know, why suddenly can I not focus as a, you know, woman in her forties or as a woman in her thirties or like wherever you are, um, you know, all of these sort of things where you're like, this used to be a non-issue and now it's so much harder, right? It was a lot of the ways where I started noticing it, where I used to have more patience for, you know, when my kids were asking for something three times and suddenly I was snapping it the first time, right? A lot of Mm -hmm. things are sort of just telling me you're operating at a 10, right? If we're talking about 10 out of 10 stress, it's sort of, you don't, where are you? Are you at a nine? Are you at a 10? I like to comfortably have people ideally operating at like three, four. And I was just at a 10 all the time, right? right. The littlest inconvenience and you're, you know, when you're already in a bad mood or your, your day is already stressful and somehow it's always, you know, that's when your sleeve gets caught on the door and you like just want to throw something. It's <laughs> everything feeling like that, right? That last straw, it's constantly that last straw is really how I knew that I, that I was at burnout. Um, it happened to, you know, coincide nicely, I guess, with my, my third son starting daycare. So there was a little bit of that feeling of, okay, so now what, right? I have the opportunity. I have the space. I have the the opportunity to go back to doing what I was doing before to, you know, continuing to build my practice, continuing to work. I just really don't want to. Right. Right. That lack of motivation, that sort of like, I could do all of these things and I don't want to do any of them. And that's not the kind of person that I am. I'm normally a person who's like, can do 10 things in in the time that it takes someone else to do five. Right. Like that's, that's the kind of thing that I do. And so that was really curious to me. That feeling is really curious to me. That, that sounds like a very disconcerting position to be in because I can do all these things. I have all these things and I don't want to do them. And I have to say, I've experienced that myself. And it is so difficult because I I felt at the time, like everybody else, you know, again, it's the external thing. Everybody else is looking at me saying, well, you worked really hard to get that certification. Why aren't you in there doing it? Yeah. And and you're like, I'm stuck in the quicksand. I can't move. You know, it, it just didn't happen like it's just so sticky it's just not happening when you've hit that burnout but I think it takes quite a while to recover from the burnout particularly if you're trying to go back to the same thing so do you think it's it's really doable to go back to what you were doing when you got burnt out and do it differently does that work or does it always have to be something different? No, I've had, you know, it's, it's an interesting question because I've had clients who, uh, you know, I'm thinking about one client in specific who was a nurse and she was like, I think I just need to leave my job. Like it's just, it's my job. So I just need to leave my job. And in coaching together, actually, like, you know, she ended up setting better boundaries at work and getting a promotion with high, with better client outcomes. Right. So it's, it's not always about changing. And I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions. And I think unfortunately is actually one of the reasons that people don't reach out for help sometimes is because as you said, like I'm a, I'm a mom with three kids, a household to run. Like there's certain things in my life. There are certain aspects of my life that are already set, 
right? I am already a mother. I already have you know a certain responsibilities. I'm not buying a one-way ticket to Bermuda tomorrow, right? This is not going to be an, an eat, pray, love, go away for a year situation and, and try and, you know, refine myself, right? And so absolutely, I think it's really important for people to know that that's not necessary. It, it can be a slow understanding of how we got here and the shifts that we make without external circumstances even really changing because often it's not about the external circumstances absolutely if you have toxic family members yes we can deal with that toxic bosses we can talk about that too but it's not about the external circumstances changing it's about how we approach them and the ways again in which we've already conditioned and had our our nervous systems conditioned to show up in these spaces that we need to retrain absolutely yeah there's that saying wherever you go there you are. Exactly. And I think that's that's something to sort of put in the front when considering, well, I just need to change my job or I just need to do X external thing. It's like you can do that, but then when you get there, you still bring yourself with you. So there's a lot of mindset work and, and a lot of digging, I think, into how did I get there and what things do I have on repeat? I mean, you know, that I've been discovering some stuff recently that's like, oh, I didn't know I did that. And, <laughs> and there's so many things that we, you know, subconscious programs that we're all running, I, I would say. And we need somebody like you to help us find those. So how does that typically work for you? Like, do, do you just listen to the person and something pops out or do you have a system? Like, how do you, how do, you do that? I always like to say it's like a little bit of system and a little bit of magic. Um, okay. Just being able to see, I've I've always, uh, I always like to say that I sort of grew up as an empath, right? Like I could always sort of feel other people's feelings and feel which pros and cons to, to that for sure. Um, be able to sort of see through like the, the uh, red tape, like the, the, you know, the police line where people are like, this is where I'm going in my brain. And somehow I can always, I can always peer over um, so there's a couple of different things is yes, a hundred percent. It's, it's a lot of active listening and being able to hear people's stories and create connections where there aren't always, right. I think that a lot of our, our lives are spent thinking, oh, I just do this over here. And 15 years ago, this happened to me and I'm eating this for dinner tonight. And think all of those are sort of isolated aspects of ourselves or isolated stories or just things that are totally not connected. And the reality is there's so many subconscious connections in our brains to, you know, what happened 15 years ago, impacting how you spoke to the person at the grocery store today and what you're eating for dinner, right? And so being able to hear all of that and and show and, you know, create those connections is a lot of how we move that work forward, right? Because being able to understand, oh, this is a pattern that I do. This is a way that I show up. It's not how I'm showing up right now in this instance. And here's why I'm justified. It's, oh, this is actually something I've done repeatedly in multiple other areas of my life. Oh, and here's, and being able to track it back to exactly why. Those patterns, it's those patterns that come up. And when you ask certain questions, that kind of brings them forward as well. So do you tend to know where it's going when you start asking those revealing questions or are you sort of pinging things to see what happens or is it a little of each to begin with it's often pinging things to see what happens 
right? It's sort of being able to like create the the picture. I like to think of everyone sort of like as a song is how I think about people, right? Is, um, you know, sometimes we like to think about our lives as chapters, right? As chapters of a book or just books. I've closed this book of my life and now I'm starting this one. I like to think about people sort of as music, right? Because at different parts of your life, the same way that maybe there's like a really strong guitar solo in a song or the drums come in one minute or there's a harmony, but then it goes away. But there, those sounds are always there, right? And like so that. when I hear people talking, sometimes I'm, you know, to begin with in a first session with someone, I'm always sort of like pinging to hear like, where is where's the music kind of still there, but we're not amplifying it. Right. And then trying to trace it back to like earlier when, you know, other things may have happened and that might've played a bigger role in someone's life. Um, it's sort of just how I think about things in my brain. So it, it is a lot of pinging to see what happens and then being able to start recreating those patterns in my brain to be able to help my clients see them as well. Ah, I like that last little bit about you recreate the patterns in your brain so that you can see what's happening. That's, that's really going quite in depth to be able to do that. And then that gives you a real connection with the person you're talking to. So that's very cool. Um, we have a break coming up shortly, so I don't want to get into too much more, but is there any more you want to say about patterns that people could possibly pick up for themselves or at least start to look for? Because it, it can be hard when you don't know yeah. what you don't know. So I always like to use what I call the second why, if you ever want to start identifying patterns, right? Because our brains often want to give us really little, like nicely, beautifully packaged reasons that we do things. I always give the example of, you know, when I was working with, with parents of picky eaters, sometimes I would ask the, a parent, you know, why do you feed your kid? Like, why are you making 17 meals so that your child will eat something? And the answer would often be because they have to eat something to support their growth, Right. That's right. beautiful. Sounds great. Sounds really nice. And if I ask them a secondary why, right? But but really, if there was a more true version of this question, what would the answer be? And the answer often was, because I felt like such a failure today that I just need my child to eat something so that I can feel good about myself for five minutes. Wow. Right? I'm going to hold you there because we do have the break now. But I love that. And I, while we're gone, I would love for the people listening to think about that for yourself. What have you done recently that, you know, you, you have your surface why right away, but why did you really do it? Think about that while we're on break. Don't go away. You're listening to Navigating Complicated Relationships, and I'm Michaela Gaffin-Stone, your host, and Ahuba Hirschkopf is our amazing guest today. See you in just a minute. Don't go away. What if your relationships could be a source of delight instead of a source of struggle? In a world where human interactions are anything but straightforward, tuning in to Navigating Complicated Relationships with behavior expert Michaela Gaffin-Stone will offer you insights, tools, and a whole new level of understanding for you to use right now. Listen for Navigating Complicated Relationships with Michaela Gaffin-Stone Wednesdays at 12 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central, 10 a.m. Mountain, 9 a.m. Pacific on InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. How wonderful would it be to carry your favorite Inspired Choices Network host with you throughout your day? Well, now you can. Inspired Choices Network now has its very own mobile app. Our free app offers live streaming shows along with thousands of podcasts and TV episodes. Our shows cover a wide variety of topics. 
Whether you're waking up with us, carrying us through the day, and taking us to bed with you, we're always here for you to enjoy. We're easy to find. Just search for Inspired Choices Network in the Apple App Store or Google Play Store. This is Navigating Complicated Relationships with Michaela Gaffin-Stone. To participate in the program, join the live studio audience in our chat room at inspiredchoicesnetwork.com. You can also send an email to mickey at gaffinstone.com. Now back to the program. Welcome back, everyone. I'm glad you're still here and you're still listening. And I hope you've got a pen and paper. Ahuva, before we get back into that second why and what that can sometimes look like for people, can you let the audience know how they can contact you and where they can find you and what kind of things they can expect? Absolutely. So you can find me. I hang out lots on both LinkedIn and Instagram. My handle is Ahuva Hirschkopf on both. And you can find lots of strategies for solving burnout, for solving both the mindset and the practical pieces of, of burnout, and really just overcoming so many of these mental patterns and mindsets that we're talking about today. That's amazing. So you've got all those tips there that people could just go and find. Yes, exactly. Woo! How good is that? And is there a program or something that people can sort of, if, if they're loving what they're hearing and really, you know, I anticipate they would be, and they love what they see when they go to Instagram, what kind of program could they do with you? What, what kind of things do you do? So I run a 12-week program. I run both a uh, one-to-one version of it and occasionally a group version of it called the Unapologetic Living Code. And really in that, we do the deep work together to re-regulate nervous systems, to rewire neural pathways so that we can make habit change a non-issue so that we can actually start creating the life that you want to live, a life that you get to enjoy without you feeling like you have to completely overhaul everything else about your life to begin with. That I can attest is fabulous. That is so cool. It's very well worth you considering. So if you're listening to us right now, I suggest that you go and find Ahuva Hirschkop on Instagram and on, what was the second one you said? LinkedIn. LinkedIn, right. Okay, so those are two platforms where you can find Ahuva very active and lots of tips and so on. So I do have a question for you about pitfalls for uh, professional women. Like is there, what would you recommend they do to not reach burnout in the first place? So firstly is to ask the question of who uh, throughout the entire day, this is one of the biggest things that I see is constantly um, asking yourself, who am I judging myself against? Right. Because especially for women who are in the workforce, when, you know, a lot of people who are in leadership positions, CEOs, managing partners, all of those kind of things are might be men in their 70s. Right. Who might not reflect the life that you live. Um, So many people are trying to, let's say, you know, emulate that at the office and then coming home and trying to be, um, you know, leave it to beaver. Right. At home where the, the house is completely clean and there's a, a pot roast in, you know, in the oven, but for ready for 6 p.m. exactly. And so a lot of the time we're not clear on who we're trying to be, right? And different parts of the day trying to be or emulate or judge yourself against different people. And so first asking, you know, like, 
who am I trying to be right now? When you're like, oh, I failed again, right? I didn't do this thing again, or I should have done this this way. It says who and who am I judging myself against? And doing the work, which is something that we do, you know, very often inside the Unapologetic Living Code to start defining yourself on purpose, right? Because yeah. who am I trying to be? Who am I? Then so much easily, more easily dictates how I'm going to show up in all of these places in a way that isn't necessarily the way that your grandmother did it or your best friend does it or the managing partner at, at your law firm does it, but it's how am I going to do it and how am I going to show up? So we don't have to stay in that constant decision-making limbo. Right. That, that can be a little scary to consider at first if you're used to very much defining yourself according to, you know, what comes back when you ping off other people, you know, oh, I should be like that. I mean, as, as a parent, right, I, I tend to do a fair bit of parent coaching. And one of the first things that I come across is people being very concerned about what everybody else thinks about their parenting, you know, what the school think and what this person thinks. And what I discovered fairly quickly is that 99% of the things they're concerned about are actually their assumptions about what the other person's thinking. So not only is it external, then it starts getting really complicated about, well, I think they're thinking this and it gets really messy. I mean, that's something. Do you have to unpack that a lot with people? Yeah, it's I forget, you know, there was there was like a comedy show or something when I was younger. Where it was like, you know, the back and forth is sort of like, well, I know that you know that he knows that I know that we know that. Right. That sort of like and it's it's funny when you hear it like that, but sometimes that is really what our brains are doing it's like well I think that they think that I think that I want it and all of that right number one is when it feels like you're emotionally or mentally exhausted at the end of every day and you're like I don't even know why that's tiring just saying it and I haven't even said what the issue is that I think someone is judging me for that I know that they know right and so a lot of those are where we're giving our mental and emotional energy to and we're allowing those things to exhaust us um, and so, yeah, it is, it can feel really confusing to sort of then know, you know, is this my judgment of myself or is that somebody else's? Right. And I, just I think, being able to unpack that is really powerful. I think one of the clues can be, certainly for me anyway, is if I'm getting into a dialogue in my own head, you know, I'm having, I'm having their side and my side. And I realized, wait a minute, what have I been doing for the last five minutes? You know, and I realized I've had this dialogue going on. It's like, I'm having a party in my head. Nobody else is invited. And I'm basing <laughs> what I'm doing on the outcome that I think that other person would have said. It's like, sometimes you just have to stop and look and wonder, <laughs> how did I get there again? But how many people do that a lot, you know? Yes. And so sometimes we have to really like, I'm, I'm a very evidence-based person, right? As, as a healthcare provider, um, evidence-based is always where we go for, but really it's sort of sometimes even being very honest with yourself of what does the evidence say, right? Because, you know, I know that growing up, my mother used to have the, you know, the floor was pristine every single night, right? And certain things were, were just the way that they were. And I remember one saying to her, I feel like you're, you know, you're judging me because, um, like sometimes I leave my kids toys on the floor. Right. And she was like, how many times have I, have I told you when I see you starting to clean them up to be like, Oh, just leave them. They're going to play with them tomorrow anyway. Right. The exact evidence. Yes. And, and it's starting to notice, right. Number one, where we learn things from 
and how much permission we ever give ourselves to change that narrative, right? I saw that growing up. And so it didn't matter that a thousand times out of a thousand, um, you know, my mom would come over and be like, they're just going to put their cars back in that area tomorrow. Like you don't need to put every single one away, right? I had all of that evidence that I chose to ignore. Um, but it, it is getting curious around when we feel those judgments from other people. Is that something someone's ever said to you, right? Do you have a reasonable um, reason to assume that that's how they feel, right? It's like, if I say to my husband, I expect you home today at 6 p.m., it's reasonable for him to assume that's, that's you know, what like what it is. If every day, if every week at Wednesday, he's home at 6 p.m., it just happens that today I didn't remind him. It's, again, reasonable for him to assume that I want him home at that time. But otherwise, if there's no implied expectation, right, or there's no implied judgment, there's none of those things, it might be us doing that work for the other person to sort of then, um, you know, put that onto them. And what's interesting is when we think about it like that, and I was actually just having this conversation with a client yesterday of how we go into defensive mode, right? It's like, now I'm mad at that other person. And they're not even involved. They never, they, they're like, I don't even know what's happening here, but you seem like you're you're trying to either prove something to me or you're mad at me for some reason. But I'm totally lost over here in left base. Right. And how many times do you see that? I mean, it's in jokes all the time, right? My my wife got mad at me the other day and, and you know, and this happened and I have no idea what happened. I just came home from work or whatever it is, yeah. right? But chances are there's been a massive dialogue that they don't know about in yeah. that person's head. And now they've sort of assumed that role because they walked through the door and now they get sort of hit with whatever the outcome of that dialogue was. So if we're beating ourselves up on the, you know, what we're achieving at work and that word achieving is, is always seems to me like a finish line that you can never quite get to, right? I need to achieve this thing. And it's always something to work for, work towards. But, you know, what happens if that changes or if you just don't do the achieving? I mean, do you ever ask people to intentionally not achieve something in order to see what where the narrative sits? Do you know what I mean? Was that clear? Yeah, that, that is a great question. And so I really get um, when we work together, we get really clear on, on what the values are that are dictating those achievements, right? And it's funny because um, sometimes it's not even about choosing between good or bad outcomes, right? Or good or bad choices or achieving or not achieving. Because the reality is that our lives are made up of a lot of different things that we want to achieve. I was thinking about this last night. Um, I, you know, I ended up with a flat tire, um, had to deal with that, derailed part of my day. There were certain things that, that all, you know, then it snowed, everything took longer. And so I wanted to both exercise in the evening and I wanted to, um, I had some work that I needed to finish, right? Sometimes I would say, you know what, I'm going to put this, this work aside and I'm going to go, you know, exercise. Last night I was like, there's actually something I need to get done. I'm going to not do this other, like, I'm not going to go exercise. I'm going to focus on this for the next couple of hours, Right. And so sometimes when we're thinking about achievement, number one, we're picking between multiple things we want to achieve, but it's also getting curious about why that achievement is important to us, right? Because I think that sometimes life is like laundry, which is no matter what happens, really? no, <laughs> Sorry. 
It's always there for you. Um, <laughs> no, no matter what happens, right? Like I can do as many loads of laundry as I want to. My kids are still going to come home from school today and take off their clothes and put them in the hamper, right? Like it's going to restart. And so as you're saying, so often the perfectionists in us, because perfectionists love end goals. They don't care at all about the process, right? The, and and by perfectionist, I also mean the, the perfectionist parts of us, like the little inner perfectionist don't care about process. They don't even really care if you like the way there. They care that you get to the end goal, right? And there are so few things, even if you think about, I have this project at work that I that I want to finish. I have this promotion that I want to get that are ever really the, the true end goal, right? You're not going to finish this project and never work on another one. You're not going to finish this trial as a lawyer and never start another one unless you're saying, I'm done now, right? I'm retired or I'm, I'm just you know, moving to a, I don't know, Timbuktu. But there are very few things in our lives that really are truly end goal achievements. Right. right? And so I don't necessarily make recommendations one way or another of like, you should achieve this goal or you shouldn't. But it's starting to recognize that. How do we then shift back into actually enjoying the process of anything that we do? Right. Someone once pointed out to me that priority is one thing and when we put ourselves a task with several priorities we're actually not having any priority at all because the priority is literally what is the main thing you do but we've become a society of people that just want to do a whole bunch of things and I think women have like half a dozen priorities every day no matter what so it's we've kind of built up this system where how would you not burn out? Yeah. Um, we have to go to another break. It's that time already. But I would love to hear more about this and also, you know, some tips that you could have for women who are either feeling burnout or a little concerned that they're heading that way or they really know they're in it. Like some tips for them when we come back would be amazing. So don't go away, anybody. You are listening to Navigating Complicated Relationships and I'm your host, Michaela Gaffin-Stone. We're right here on the Inspired Choices Network and we'll be back in just a minute. What if your relationships could be a source of delight instead of a source of struggle? In a world where human interactions are anything but straightforward, tuning in to Navigating Complicated Relationships with behavior expert Michaela Gaffin-Stone will offer you insights, tools, and a whole new level of understanding for you to use right now. Listen for Navigating Complicated Relationships with Michaela Gaffin-Stone, Wednesdays at 12 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central, 10 a.m. Mountain, 9 a.m. Pacific on InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. This is Navigating Complicated Relationships with Michaela Gaffin-Stone. To participate in the program, join the live studio audience in our chat room at inspiredchoicesnetwork.com. You can also send an email to mickey at gaffinstone.com. Now back to the program. Welcome back, everyone. I'm delighted you're still here. You are listening to me, Michaela Gaffin-Stone. I'm your host. And my amazing guest today is Ahuva Hirschkopf, and she is Easy to find on LinkedIn and Instagram. You just look up that handle at Uva Hirschkopf and she's right there. She's got tips and all kinds of goodies for you there and programs that I'm going to ask her to tell you about again at the end of this podcast so that you can be really sure that you know what's possible and 
do yourself a favor and consider it. I heartily recommend that you do that. So I do have a question I'd like to ask and I wanna make sure I get this one. How do high achievers determine the difference between perfectionism and having high standards? Because that line can be pretty blurry, I would say. Yeah, and I think that it's a really important one to be able to know, right? Um, because we all have, I would like to think that a lot of us have high standards, right? We have things that we want, we have things that we want to do, and we're not really willing to compromise on them. Um, but the, there's a very big difference between ha- being a perfectionist. Perfectionism actually uh, most often just keeps us paralyzed, right? Perfectionism is when we're thinking about, you know, if you're unclear always of what's the first step, but this isn't the best right step, but I don't, you know, I don't like know exactly if this is going to get me, you know, where I need to go. Having high standards means that you challenge yourself for how you show up, right? High standards often is, am I putting my best effort in? Am I trying my hardest? Am I doing right? The work, um, not necessarily did I win the game, right? It's the difference between getting out of a team sport. Perfectionism is it has to go exactly like this and only this is good and only this outcome and this number of, you know, this number of um, goals or, you know, goals, I guess is I'm like, I don't even know sports, but, um, but goals um, versus how am I showing up? How am I doing the thing? Am I playing as a best self, right? Am I working as hard as I can? Um, in the overall process of what I'm doing, right? If I'm setting out a pro of like a project, perfectionism is just, did the end goal happen exactly how I wanted it to or not? Right. Right. My standards says, is this work or is the thing that I'm doing reflective of as, as well as I know that I can show up. Right. And it sounds pretty clear as you're explaining that, that high standards is a sort of healthy self challenge Whereas yeah. perfectionism is an excuse to beat yourself up when you don't have everything happen the way you want it to. And it also sounds like a whole lot of control yeah. or effort at control for the perfectionist, because you're trying to make sure that everybody else and everything else does their part exactly how you planned for them to do. And yeah. that is exhausting. It's like the difference between, you know, and I often use exercise as, as an example, right? I know how hard I can push myself. Is there variation? Is there variety? Is it, you know, sometimes dependent on the week or what's going on? Absolutely. But if I, who, you know, normally if I go for a run, I'm running, like I'm running a certain distance. If suddenly I'm like, you know, I just, I stopped halfway through. There's getting curious around, okay, well, that's not my standard, right? So like what's happening there? Whereas perfectionism is even in, on an injury, even if I can't run, even if it's a hundred degrees outside and I didn't bring any water with me, I still need to do the thing, right? right? It's like come hell or high water, the thing is going to be able to, to be done because I'm judging myself against that versus I'm having a standard. Even I have high standards allows what I always love for people to do, which is if I didn't hit it, get curious, even like what was going on that day, Right. Was it 100 degrees and I forgot to bring water with me? And so halfway through the run that I normally do, I was like, I'm going to keel over if I am if I don't, you know, stop and walk right now, right? Well, that gives me at least something to be able to work on, something to grow from, something to learn from. Whereas perfectionism is sort of a be all and end all, just, you know, end goal where there's really nowhere to go. Right. I, and I, I think sometimes the, the badge of perfectionism, some people wear it 
proudly thinking that it actually means high standards. Yeah. So I, I love that there's some clarity here on the difference because the one, the high standard certainly sounds a lot healthier to have and more sort of self-interactive, if you will, you know, like you can look at it and say, well, why am I doing that? And, and maybe, you know, maybe you're just really tired today because you didn't sleep for the last three nights or something else is happening, but the perfectionist doesn't have room for that. And I think that's, you know, that's definitely unhealthy. Yeah. I so, grew up with a friend who was English. And so we watched a lot of Mr. Bean. Okay. So what I like to describe perfectionism as is if I can imagine sort of like a Mr. Bean episode where he's driving in the car, right? You can see him like looking down next to him, right? Like rummaging for something in the front seat and he's not looking where he's going and he's driving straight ahead and he doesn't see there's an old woman who's like jumping out of the way, you know, jumping out of the way of the car and two cars are crashing into each other. And, you know, someone threw their groceries because they had to run away from the car, right? And all of a sudden he looks up and he's at point B. And he's like, I did it. The guy pointed at point, right? Like you're picturing the Mr. Bean episode in your head. But yeah. in the in the Mr. Bean episode, it's funny because it pan- the, the screen pans away. You don't have to deal with the fact that somebody, like a crew member had to go and pick up those groceries, right? That are now on the, the fake set. But in life, that's what perfectionism is, right? It ignores everything else, similar to what I did when there was, you know, the pandemic and I had three-year-old twins and I was pregnant and I was like, I'm going to ignore all of that information because like come hell or high water, like I'm replacing my clinical salary. Like that's it. I am doing the thing, right? But in life, that creates collateral damage in the same way that you have to then pick up, right? Okay, that is absolute gold right there. That is the most beautiful example of of how that goes like wow that's a good one and I'm very familiar with Mr. Bean (laughs) oh love Mr. Bean that is absolutely I I love that and I'm so glad that we're sort of almost at the end of the podcast and and you were able to tell everybody that because that is a piece of gold if you missed it I'd like you to go back and just listen to that bit again or hey listen to the whole podcast again I think it's (laughs) worthwhile you know, so we we only have a very short moment or two left. So I'd love for you to tell people again where and how they can find you. So, yeah, uh, you can find me on Instagram and or LinkedIn. My handle on both of those is Ahuva Hirschkop. And you can find more information on, you know, strategic tips and mindset tips to overcome burnout, to improve productivity and to really start rewiring your nervous system, as well as all of the information is there around the 12-week coaching program that we were speaking about, the Unapologetic Living Code, where I work with overstretched professionals to rewire neural pathways to create more enjoyment and more productivity without compromising on your professional goals. Boom, that's beautiful. And for people listening, I would love to point out, if you haven't worked with a coach yet, first of all, why not? And secondly, It your whole process goes so much quicker if you're working with a coach because they can see things that you can't see. It's hard to see when you're in it. Now we're already at time, so I will see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to the Navigating Complicated Relationship Show. Makayla returns Wednesdays at 12 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central, 10 a.m. Mountain, 9 a.m. Pacific on InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. Until then, remember every relationship is a journey. And with the right tools, you can create stronger, more fulfilling connections.